Exodus 14, beginning in verse 1. Read along with me. Here we go. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before, before Pi-Hihiroth, between Middol and the sea, and you shall camp in front of Baal-Zephon, opposite it, by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, They are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know. They will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him. And he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all their horses and chariots of Pharaoh. His horsemen and his army, they overtook them, camping by the sea, beside Pi-Hahiroth and in front of Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, and then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you, who you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. I want to ask you to forget what you know about the miraculous parting of the Red Sea. Because at this moment in their history, Israel had no idea what was about to happen. They didn't have a clue. All they had to this point was their past or their previous knowledge, much like you and I. We don't know what's coming this afternoon or this evening or tomorrow. We have no clue. God, very kindly I might add, keeps that from us. Doesn't allow us to see too far down the way or we might lose heart. And Israel had no knowledge of this Red Sea event. They didn't know who Charlton Heston was. They really had no clue. And so at this point, they're in a predicament. And I want you to join them there for a moment and think about what it must have been like to be there, hemmed in, nowhere to go. Isaiah 64 verse 4 says, From days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has any eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. If faith were hindsight, we would all be believers. But faith, faith is foresight. It's looking ahead. It's being able to believe in God. In a couple of chapters, actually in chapter 15, after the Red Sea event, you're going to hear Miriam, Moses' sister. And she's going to be singing an amazing song of praise. She's going to be praising the Lord for how He brought them through the Red Sea. How much better, how much more faithful would it have been for Miriam to sing that song before the sea parted? See, that's faith. But at this point... They're now backed into a corner, facing impending doom, but God is just warming up. 
Let's pray for a moment. Father, I pray that you'd bless our study this morning, that you'd open our eyes to the scriptures, to understanding and to, to insight. But Father, as you touch our minds and teach us, touch our hearts as well, Lord. Give us passion. Help us to feel these things and to know that you are a mighty God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a single phrase as we think about this, consider this this morning, that I want to pass along to you. It's a phrase that has come to speak volumes to my heart in recent months and peace to my mind over the last several weeks. Thursday morning I got a call from Les. And uh, he, he called to talk to me. And I didn't ask him ahead of time if I could share this. This is why you have to be very important what you tell a pastor. Because there's no telling what he's going to share. But Les called me up. Wednesday night we have been having a real good time at Bible study. And, and we were kind of joking around and, and a little bit of banter was going on. Well, Les calls me up Thursday morning to apologize for something he had said that I had completely missed or forgotten. And his whole point was, you know, I, just, I wanted to make sure I didn't offend you. And I was sitting there, you know, I'm on the phone, I'm racking my brain going, what did he say? What did he say? How bad was it? Should I be mad, you know? <laughs> Do I need to be forgiven him right now? And I literally I couldn't remember. And then as he described the moment, I, I, I remember what he said, and it was funny, and it cracked me up. But the point was this. In that phone call, Les used a phrase that he uses a lot, and used with me. And again, it's this phrase that is stuck on my heart, and it really works in the Christian life. He said, well, I understand that you know, you've forgotten and it didn't matter and, and that's all great, but I just I needed to call and walk this out with you. We needed to walk this out. I didn't want to leave any possibility that there might be an assumption or a speculation or anything that the devil could use as a foothold in our relationship. So we just needed to walk this out together. And I appreciated that so much. And I think I told you before we even hung up the phone, that's what I'm going to talk about Sunday. I had been working on the, the message and studying and trying to, you know, what direction are you taking us here, Lord? And the moment Les said that, I want to walk this out, boom, it hit me. But that is a phrase that every Christian can hang on to. That's the phrase I want you to remember. I'll say it several times this morning, but I want you to think about this idea of as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, but also as children of God, that we learn how to walk it out. That our Christian life is not always a sprint. You know, it's not always a fast run. It's not always, don't want to worry about it, want to keep moving on, all this. Sometimes just walking it out. Working it out in our relationships. Walking out that faith that, man, our faith many times just teeters, doesn't it? It's just barely there. We're like Israel in the wilderness. We've seen miraculous things in the past, but now we're hemmed in. Now where are you, God? I know you saved me before, but that's then. This is now, and I need you now. And I believe the Lord says, hey, walk it out. Walk it out. Walk it out. It's not walk it off, by the way. That's a little different phrase, as if by ignoring it, it'll simply go away. That's a phrase that we used a lot with me in sports when I was growing up. High school sports, you know, you break your leg on the basketball court and the coach says, yeah, walk it off. <laughs> Just walk it off, man. you got to ignore the pain. you got to play the game. Walk it off. God's not saying that. It's not about ignoring things. That may work on a bruised muscle, but it doesn't work on a human heart. Just walk it off. If there's hurt, if there's a problem, you walk it out. 
Proverbs 10.17 tells us he is on the path of life who heeds instruction, but he who ignores reproof goes astray. In Matthew 7.24, Jesus said, everyone, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who has built his house upon the rock. If you act on them, you walk it out. Walk it out. You might say, boy, that study, that Bible study, really made me uncomfortable this morning, or this afternoon, or this evening. I, I, I didn't like that. It made me uncomfortable, and God would say, don't walk it off. Walk it out. Move through it. Take it with you. Commit to the journey, whatever God has in mind. Now, I've shared this verse so many times in recent weeks, and it just keeps coming up, and, and at some level, I, I kind of think, well, maybe I, I need to find a different verse to say what this says. But I really think the Lord wants us to hear this. And possibly we just need to keep hearing it until we've really heard it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Walk it out. Walk in the light. In your relationships, walk it out. Now in our study Wednesday night, We talked about how the Lord designed a path for Israel that would require them to do this very thing, to walk it out. And I want to back up and share some things with all of you this morning. Those of you who are here Wednesday night, you're going to hear a couple of things you've already heard before. But I think it's important for the whole fellowship to understand this and to hear this. First off, that God could have taken Israel directly, directly from the land of Goshen to the land of Canaan. Had he done so, had he taken them along the the eastern or the northeastern route straight across the desert, it would have been a ten day journey. Did you realize that? They were only a ten day walk away from the promised land. Ten days. In fact, if you look up at the at the map here that I've got, you see up in the left corner where it says Ramses, and if you can't see real well, it's, it's the tiny little word up in the far left. Ramses. That's where they were. Canaan is straight across, there's this kind of an upside down A that you see made there in the Sinai Peninsula, in the Sinai Wilderness. Straight across is, is the promised land. All they had to do was just go straight across. There was a highway that led that direction. God could have taken them that direction. Now, he didn't partially because they would have met up with the Philistines along the way. But I'll tell you what, if God can deal with Egypt, God could deal with Philistine with the Philistines. That would have been easy. But he doesn't take them that way. He doesn't take the quick 10-day journey. He designs for them, for this crowd of 2 to 3 million, who you would think it would be a good idea to just get them over there as quick as possible. No, he designed for them a year-long journey that would take them down into the Sinai Peninsula. Down to the very bottom, and then they would work their way back up. It was a year-long journey in which they would have several stops, seven significant stops along the way. And on these seven stops of the journey, God would teach them to walk it out. Well, Rick, I, I thought it was a whole lot more than a year-long journey, wasn't it? it was, wasn't it like 40 years? Well, yeah, but that's because after they had taken the year-long journey, they were faithless. They doubted God. They disbelieved. They really didn't think. After all he taught them, they didn't believe that he was going to do it. And so he said, I guess you need a little more of a lesson. Why don't we wander out here for 40 years? It should have been 10 days. God planned for it to be one year. It turns into 40 years. And why? All along there is one purpose God had for Israel. To teach them how to walk it out. Walk it out. Trust me. Every day, every step. It's not a matter of leaping ahead. It's not a long jump. It's walking it out. Step 
by step by step. You see, as we said Wednesday night, it's one thing, it's one thing to get the people out of Egypt. It is a totally different thing to get Egypt out of the people. And that's what we need. That's one thing to get out of the world. It's one thing for me to become a Christian and say, wow, okay, I'm a Christian now. Great, I'm quote-unquote out of the world. The hard part is getting the world out of me. It's getting that stuff in my heart that becomes so much a part of my life. I'm so entrenched in culture and in behavior and in attitude and in my sinful nature that to get that out of me requires walking it out. It requires the journey. Gang, it's the journey that most of you are on right now. To walk it out. Now the problem is, when you begin to walk it out, sometimes the world doesn't really think that's what goes on. Look back at chapter 13. Chapter 13 and verse 20. I'm going to share with you three campsites this morning. It's the first three campsites of Israel. Two of them, again, we talked about on Wednesday night. We'll move through those quickly, but you need to see them before the third one will make sense to you. Three campsites of Israel, and the first one is Sukkot. If you look back in chapter 13, verse 20, it says, They set out from Sukkoth, and they camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness, the Lord going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. He's he's with them, he's traveling with them, he's got them covered, as we talked about last week. Well, campsite number one, they left Ramses, and they went down to the first place which is Sukkot 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 literally means tent town tent town it was a place where they first camped out they set up their tents three million people strong they were spread out wide they were in Sukkot and this is the starting point for a follower of the Lord this is one of the first things as a new believing Christian you need to understand and that is he is calling you to begin in tent town God is asking you, inviting you to pull up your roots that are dug so deep in the world and get ready to travel. Get ready to sojourn. Get ready to move forward. Now the problem is some of you Christians are just a little bit too intense. Intense. You're intense. You heard about the guy who went to the psychiatrist and he was a little confused. He was having these really bizarre dreams. In the first dream he said to the psychiatrist, I just keep dreaming I'm a teepee. Psychiatrist said, well that's a little interesting. Well, what's, what's, what's your other dream? Well, the other dream is I keep dreaming I'm a wigwam. And the psychiatrist said, hey, that's no problem, you're just too tense. <laughs> we ready to move on? Good. The reason, <laughs> the best way to avoid, by the way, being tense is to be intense. Not intense like this, but to avoid tension and striving in life is to be a tent dweller. To be a sojourner. To know that God has called you to this life. It is the best way to avoid all the stress. The stress in our lives tends to come when we're trying to hang on and God is trying to move us forward and we're going, I don't want to go. This is a painful thing. This is difficult. I don't understand. I'm more comfortable in my living room with my feet up. What are you doing, Lord? best way to avoid being tense is to be in tense. 1 Corinthians 7.29 We read this Wednesday night. Wonderful verse. Paul says, This I say, brethren, the time is short. Everybody clear on that? Time is short. Actually, literally, he says, the time has been shortened. 
So that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now, careful on that one. (laughs) He says, those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. And I want you to be free from concern. Okay, Rick, what about that wife comment? (laughs) Paul's just saying this, guys. Your number one priority, absolute first. The first thing that he wants you to have is a focus on the Lord. You have that and you will be free from concern. And by the way, if you have that kind of focus, men, your love for your wife is going to increase. But if your focus is on the woman, if your focus is on her, meeting her needs, pleasing her, doing everything to make it just right for her, as opposed to on the Lord, guess what? You're never going to get there. You will never completely please her. Ladies, you will never completely please your husband if your focus is on doing so. Now that may sound a little twisted. But again I say to you, and I have said before and will say again, the best recipe for a solid marriage is for both parties to be focused on the Lord. You love Jesus. You want to live for Jesus. He is your passion. He is your heart. And it's amazing when that's the case, how attractive your spouse becomes. Because Jesus wants you to be like Him. And as you aspire to that, the love you have in your marriage relationship and consequently all your relationships, it just gets better. Well, campsite number one was Tent Town and God again is saying, be a sojourner. Get ready to follow me. Stay loose. Stay ready. Be free to go. The second campsite is Etham. Etham. They went from Tent Town, Sukkoth down to campsite number two, Etham. And Etham literally means with them. Now that's important to know because at this point Etham is on the edge of the wilderness and for the children of Israel they were on the brink of disaster. They didn't even know about the Red Sea situation but if you look up on the map Etham is right at the top of the left branch of the Red Sea. By the way that little thing that looks kind of like a peace sign down the major body down at the bottom that's kind of cut off is the Red Sea but it's also considered the Red Sea as it splits up into two canals. There are two gulfs up there. The left one Etham is right at the tip of that. Well, Etham is right on the edge of the wilderness. For a child of Israel to be camped out in Etham, looking at the wilderness, wondering, okay, there's three million of us, and we're going into that? This was a desolate, flat, dry place. No water, no food, no hope. Now, it would be one thing to try and take ten people with ten, or, or three million people with ten days' worth of supplies straight across into the promised land and then meet up with some more water up there and some food and be okay. It's yet another thing to be pointing them into this wilderness, a place where people go and die. They were not just on the brink of the wilderness in Etham. They were on the brink of disaster. But Etham, again, means with them. The Lord is with them. And in our lives, many times, we may feel like we're on the edge of disaster, but God is with us. He's there with us, camped out with us. God is reminding them over and over and over and over, as He does with us, that He will not forsake those who follow after Him. Listen to these verses, Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. Later down the line, Moses will say to Joshua, The Lord, the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Later on in Isaiah 49 verse 15, a beautiful verse, God says, Can a woman forget her nursing child? 
and have no compassion on the son of her womb, even these may forget, but I will not forget you. I will not forget you. You may be on the brink of disaster. You may be looking at your financial landscape and going, it's Christmas. I can't do this. I feel the Christmas news tightening. I don't know what I'm going to do. You may be on the brink of disaster in relationships just going, I have no answers for my kids anymore. I don't know what to do to straighten them out. There may be all kinds of disasters you can think of or that you're facing in your life. You may feel on the brink, but the Lord says, yeah, I haven't forgotten you here. And while you're all worried about this, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I am right here. Matthew 28, 20. Didn't Jesus say, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And here's a clue for you. If the age is still going on, we're not quite at the end yet. Which means He is with us. But watch this. God has Israel on the move. And He is most certainly with them. But now He takes them in a very strange direction. Chapter 14, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back. Turn back. And camp before Pi-Hahirah. Between Migdal and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal-Zephon, opposite it, by the sea. Now just for note, for you note-takers, Pi-Hahiroth means the mouth of the caves. The mouth of the caves. And Migdol means tower. And Baal-Zephon means the god of the north. Baal being a pagan god. But here's what you need to know about this third and curious campsite. We can just call this one mousetrap. Okay? We've got with them, Etham, and we have Sukkoth, Tent Town, but now we get down to the third one. Just call this one mousetrap, because this is exactly where they're headed. Instead of, by the way, going from the place in Etham, right at that top part of the Red Sea, and heading on over toward the Promised Land, or even down into Sinai, God has them backtrack a bit and come down on the west side, back into Egypt. Back into Pharaoh's land. Gang, strategically this makes no sense whatsoever. you got three million people who have now gotten away from Egypt. They've gotten out of the land. They need to truck it. Get to the promised land. Get where it's safe. Get as far away from Pharaoh as possible. And God says, Moses, why don't you backtrack a bit and then come down on the Egypt side of the Red Sea. And as a matter of fact, not only that, but I want you to camp three million people between the mouth of the caves and Migdol, the tower, which to get there, geographically, there was a, a, a narrow entrance that got them into this place and the only way out was back out the way they came or across the sea they were completely hemmed in and when Pharaoh's army will now come around they're going to block off the only land escape route they can't go to the left they can't go to the right they can't go into the sea and they certainly can't go into the army they are completely surrounded 100% trapped in Egyptian territory amazing Lord, what in the world are you doing? We're fleeing Egypt. We're trying to get away here. And you're hemming us in. We're boxed in. What if Pharaoh finds out we're here? That's the point. (laughs) He will. He does. And look at what God says Pharaoh's going to think. Verse 3, For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, They are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness, (laughs) the wilderness has shut them in. Now consider this. If God is purposefully leading Israel every step of the way, why lead them this way? God is baiting Pharaoh. 
He's not done teaching Pharaoh a, a thing or two. He's broadening his glory. He's going to do an amazing thing here in a moment. But he's also bolstering Israel's faith. Helping them to still trust. They still don't. They don't at this point. You'd think the ten plagues would do it. No, not yet. So he's putting them in a position where they have no other alternative but to trust in him. And that's what he will often do with you. Bring you to a spot where you are hemmed in with no alternative. Man, I can't go forward. I can't go back. I can't go to the left or to the right. What am I going to do, Lord? And the moment we say, Lord, he says, now you're doing what you need to do. Trust me. He knows exactly where he's leading. Pharaoh, on the other hand, could only assume that Israel was lost and confused. Pharaoh's watching this thing happen. He's got his spies everywhere. He sees them go to Tent Town and then down to Ethan, which already is odd. They should have gone up and across the Egyptian highway. They didn't. It's odd. And his spies are coming back and telling him. But now they switch direction back into Egypt on the other side. And Pharaoh's thinking, what a bunch of idiots. They're wandering aimlessly. See, they deserve to be slaves. They're clueless wonders. Now listen, because this is important. That is exactly how the world views the Christian many times. They're wandering aimlessly. They don't have any idea what they're fighting for this thing in the public school. What is wrong with those Christians? Why don't they just lighten up? Man, they really believe that stuff, don't they? They're so out of touch. They don't have a clue. Things like forgiveness make no sense in Egypt. Or turning the other cheek. Or if someone demands your shirt, giving them your coat also. Or loving your enemies. Man, in Egypt it's like, what? No, 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 you look out for number one. Take care of yourself. You Christians, man. How do you get along in the world? Jesus said, I say to you, Luke chapter 6 verse 27. I say to you who here love your enemies. Love them. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. You know, if we actually did that, let me back up. If our nation actually did that, how would we survive? How would we survive? Hitler's spreading his forces. He's attacking. Oh, but we love him. And so we, we have that struggle, don't we? What do we do in Iraq? What do we do in the Middle East? What do we do when we're attacked? How do we deal with all this stuff? And I'm not about to go off on a political thing, but understand in our personal lives, if we really did some of what Jesus asked us to do, we would be bowled over. We'd be flattened by the people who are on their way to the top. There are some of you who in your corporate world would never make it past where you are right now. You'd never climb the ladder if you acted out this way. It, Bless those, love your enemies, do good good to those who hate you. Jesus says, whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other one also. Kids at school, can you imagine that? You get in the fight, bam! Here you go. (laughs) Right there, that's a good spot. Maybe up here. You done there? Here, get me on the back. It goes on. Give to everyone who asks of you. (laughs) And everyone who takes away what is yours, don't demand it back. Isn't that my coat you're wearing? Yeah? Cool. Looks good on you. Those are my shoes too, aren't they? Yeah, okay. Where'd you get them? I ran into your house and stole them. Right on. Good. If you love those who love you, Jesus says, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. 
But if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that from you? Listen, I loaned you that 500 bucks. Are you going to pay it back? I, I'm, I just don't have it. That's okay. That's great. No worries. Jesus said, love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He Himself is kind and to, to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, He says, just as your Father in Heaven is merciful. Walking it out, folks, means going in a direction that might seem ridiculous in Egypt. The world may not get it. And we think, okay, I'm going to go into the workplace, I'm going to act like Jesus, but man, I'm only going to do it if they begin to understand what I'm doing, if they can learn and grow. They may never do it. You may work with people your entire career who will never understand you and think you're a putz. And think that you're just kind of off. You just don't really, you're, you're someone to walk in. All through your life, that may be what you face. And Jesus says, if you want to be a son of the Most High God, That's what I'm calling you to do. To walk it out. To walk in the light as He is in the light. Walking in the light, by the way, as He is in the light, will gain you fellowship with other believers. It will gain you fellowship, deeper fellowship, wonderful fellowship with the Lord. But the the, the world may still not get it. The world will still look at you and say, you're wandering aimlessly. You're not with the rest of us. It makes no sense to live and act the way you are living and acting. Because what looks like wandering aimlessly to the world, man, to the person of faith in Christ, is just walking it out. It's just walking it out. Jesus did that. He came walking it out before the world, and even his own people slammed him for it, saying that his miracles were of Satan. Matthew 10:25. They say he said, if they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, speaking of himself, if they've called me Satan, how much more will they malign the members of his own household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear, whisper it in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. In other words, go tell it on the mountain. Walk it out. And don't worry about what the response is. You just keep following Jesus. But again, the world may not get it. And may go on the offensive. First Peter 4.19 Peter writes, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Now let's wrap this up. Look at verse 10 in chapter 14. Speaking of a faithful creator, watch what God does. Verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by. Stand by. (laughs) Standing by. And see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. Verse 14, the Lord. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. I like that. 
The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Well, Rick, didn't you say we're supposed to go tell it on the mountaintop? Yeah, you're supposed to be out there telling the world about the Lord, not whining to the Lord about the world. And that's what we spend so much time doing. Lord, it's hard here. Lord, it's difficult. I don't understand. Lord, please help me. And the Lord's going, look, just walk it out. I got you covered. We're going to make it just fine. Stop your whining and start your walking. Psalm 46.10. A great verse. Probably should just have this one tucked away in your minds. Psalm 46.10. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Cease striving and know that I am God. But there is one thing you can do in your journey. Stop whining, but start walking. Walk it out. Look at verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Huh? Forward? Lord, I don't know if you're seeing what we're seeing. But forward is a big, fat ocean. Forward is like lots of water, enough to bury three million people. Forward is death. Forward, there's no way. It's impossible. Why are you crying out to me, Moses? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Go forward. Go forward. Where? Into the sea? Exactly. You go forward into the sea. You just start walking. Let God worry about the rest. You just walk. You may be facing a sea of family stress. A sea of spiritual doubt or personal confusion or financial loss or physical ailment. These things may wash up all around you. You just walk it out. Walk it out. You may be in a sea of messed up relationship. Walk it out. Walk it out. In every situation, the Lord goes before you. This is His promise. It's not mine. You don't have to bank on my words this morning. God said, I will go before you. I am your God. Cease striving. Know that I'm the Lord. Trust me. Walk it out. Go forward. Right into the sea. He fights the battles. And as we'll see amazingly on Wednesday night, He even parts the insurmountable seas.